This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Son, you're a politician. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for joining us today in the Doctor's Lounge broadcast live every Thursday morning on America's Web Radio or catch us on podcast that you can download anytime. Show show up uh, on the on iTunes about three, four days after we do the live broadcast. So thanks very much again for spending some time with us. The Doctor's Lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We believe in the free market as the place to find solutions facing our healthcare system today. So why did I open with that strange beginning? You were probably expecting to hear the show start, and then you heard something that was a little odd, and I may have to play it again for you here. Uh, see if you can recognize uh, what movie this little clip comes from. Son, you're a politician. What do we do now? All right, that is from an old Robert Redford movie from, I think, 1971 called The Candidate. Uh, It's an interesting story. It's relevant to where we are now because this is a candidate who was uh, placed in a position just to run against somebody who was obviously going to win. Uh, The opposing party just needed a place filler, uh, somebody to run against the overwhelming favorite who was never expected to win, and that put him in a very interesting position. This was the character played by Robert Redford, and the position was that he was free to speak his mind because he had nothing to lose. Nobody took him seriously, and uh, to make a long story short, uh, two things. One is he won the election uh, totally unexpectedly. And the other thing is that uh, it put him in a position, and that's where the what do we do now uh, comment comes from, the the famous quote from that movie, which is, oh, my gosh, I actually got elected. Now what am I going to do? Right? I never contemplated actually having to do this job. I was just running and campaigning and counted on losing, but now all of a sudden I've got the job, and, and my gosh, what do I do with it? So the parallels between that movie plot and our current situation are obvious. Of course, no one took Donald Trump seriously. It's it's entirely possible that he didn't even take himself seriously in the early days uh, and therefore was free to speak his mind, as we know that he has, uh, sometimes for better, very often for worse. But uh, that's that's the, the parallel. So, you know, and it leaves us with the question, what do we do now? And we have, starting with last week's show uh, here on the Doctor's Lounge, tried to begin to answer that question. Uh, and I'm going to put a plug in for Dr. Hal's show from last week. And we know from our download data that you, uh, the listeners, don't download as many of our solo shows as you do the shows with guests. And that makes perfect sense because obviously with guests, it's more lively. It's it's much easier to, to listen to with two voices instead of one. And we do have a guest today that will be starting in the second segment uh, that I will introduce in a few minutes. But uh, I, I want to put a plug in for Hal's show because I listened to that show and uh, he put a great deal of effort into outlining what we should do now with the Affordable Care Act and what 
Tom Price's capabilities will be as Secretary of HHS. Uh, the fact that all of these broad powers that the Affordable Care Act gave to the Secretary of HHS, uh, that now becomes a double-edged sword. I guess they never contemplated what would happen if a HHS secretary from a Republican administration ended up in that position and all of this power can now be used going the other way. And that's you know one big part of what Hal talked about. Uh, the other part had to do with what we can do from a legislative standpoint. Uh, so I would uh, – in spite of the fact that it's a solo host-only show, I would uh, urge you know, to download that one and listen to it because there's a lot of good stuff there. So his show is part one. Dr. Hal's show last week. That was part one. So my show here is going to be the next part, uh, and I am going to do a similar approach with a guest, and we're going to talk about MACRA. Right, now, those of you who don't know what MACRA is or haven't – maybe you're newbies to the show or whatever. Welcome if you are. Uh, MACRA is uh, a, a rule that kind of lives behind the scenes if you're not a physician. Right? Everybody knows about the Affordable Care Act. We have all faced the premium hikes, the rise in deductibles, the uh, loss of your doctor in all likelihood. We have all faced the lie uh, that was Obamacare, which is that if you like your doctor, you can keep it. You like your plan, you can keep it. Uh, and so everybody is familiar with that. But this other rule – this other rule called MACRA, M-A-C-R-A, stands for the Medicare Reauthorization – no, uh, no just escaping me now. Let's call it MACRA. Um, and uh, and this, this act uh, actually takes a lot of Obamacare sort of under the table and codifies it into Medicare guidelines, codifies it into CMS guidelines. So all of the quality reporting – and all of the forced use of electronic medical records, and that part actually came from the uh, the stimulus bill, uh, the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. Um, those all got rolled up into a bill called MACRA, and I won't go into how that passed. They claim it was bipartisan support. I think there's you know a big asterisk next to that, and we went into that in prior shows. Not going to do it again. Don't have time. But uh, the point is that there is a lot of regulation and a lot of reporting burden rolled up into MACRA. And if you've gone to the physician any time in the last couple of years, uh, you may have noticed something different about your exam room or at least about your doctor, right? You walk into an exam room and we're all used to the little thing they used to look in your eyes and the things they used to look in your ears, an otoscope. Got plenty of those in my ENT office, a stethoscope, the blood pressure cuff, and different things beyond that depending on specialty. But there's been one other instrument that's been added to your doctor's office, to your doctor's exam room, and that's the computer. And that one instrument takes up an awful lot of your doctor's time, doesn't it? We've all seen that happen where now instead of the doctor looking into your eyes, you know, touching your shoulder, looking in your eyes, looking in your ears, talking to you, there's something new. Now the doctor has got his face or her face buried in the laptop and they don't talk to you anymore. They talk to the computer. And nobody likes that. And I'm here to tell you, if you haven't heard it before, your doctor doesn't like that either. So why is he or she doing it? Well, it's because of this rule called MACRA and all of the rules that came from other parts of government regulations all got rolled up into this big tent called MACRA. And that's where uh, all of these regulations live. But those are the regulations that force your doctor to stare at that computer instead of you. 
And now that we have the opportunity, now that uh, we're kind of like the dog that caught the car here, right? We finally have the political means to make major changes to some of these onerous regulations. Now it's time to do something. And the question, of course, is Robert Redford's character in a movie called The Candidate said, what do we do now? So what do we do with MACRA? How are we going to take this thing and change it in a way that uh, is going to make things better and get rid of some of this regulatory burden, get rid of the forced use of health information technology and let health information technology become used in the way that doctors feel is best for their patients and to respond to what patients ask for from their physicians. So how do we do that? Because this is a different challenge. Like I said, everybody understands the Affordable Care Act. Everybody understands Obamacare, but not everybody understands macro. So how are we going to begin to push the message out to everyone as to, number one, how bad these regulations are, and number two, what to do with them? And I think the way to do that is to come up with uh, come up with a new vision, come up with a new culture, because this has really gone to the extreme. Um, I was shocked to find in my inbox, my email inbox a few weeks ago, uh, something called compliance cartoons. And what is that? Well, these are comic strips of some kind, uh, cartoons that you would look at on a printed piece of paper that are supposed to encourage the culture of compliance. And I've even heard major medical institutions doing compliance week, which I think is scheduled for November of every year. And so instead of the law being something that is logical and therefore after a minimum of education you don't have to think about it very much compliance becomes something that is pushed every day uh you know they've even come up with you know take a selfie with your favorite regulation next to you posted on the wall i mean really sort of propaganda-esque uh, sort of practices and it, and it got me to thinking my god this is awful i mean this is not what we got into healthcare to do right we didn't get into healthcare to follow rules Right? We got into healthcare to take care of patients. And so this needs to be a part of the message that we, that we put forward when we talk about, you know, one, number one, how bad MACRA is, and number two, uh, you know, how is it that we combat that? And I think the first step in doing that is to take head on this whole concept of quality in healthcare. Because right now, uh, the government owns this concept of quality in healthcare. They act like they invented quality of healthcare in 2006 when they came up with something called the PQRS quality reporting system. Uh, and, and we need to, to convince folks that the quality doesn't belong in the hands of the government. Quality belongs in the hands of doctors and patients and other people that support physicians in taking care of patients by, you know, by direct patient contact. So we need to reclaim that mantle of quality. We, doctors and patients, need to own that mantle of quality. So how do you do that? Well, you do that with a better vision of how health information technology uh, can really help in healthcare. We really need to start with a clean sheet of paper, right? We have been under uh, under the regulatory burden of what was first called meaningful use, uh, and now that's been rolled into a piece of this macro rule called advancing care information, which forced us forced us not only to use electronic medical records in the first place, but forced us to use it in the way the government intended. And one of the major thrusts of how the government intended us to use it was to somehow increase quality. Well, we all are in favor of improving quality. We all acknowledge that you know we can always do this job of taking care of patients better. Nobody argues with that. What we argue with is the method. 
Because right now what we have is a, a health care quality reporting system forced on us by the federal government, which focuses on what you do after the patient's already gone. Uh, you know, then you have to concentrate on your reports and you have to figure out how to get your EMR to capture the data when the patient comes in. It's all a focus on what happens after care is delivered and it's too late. I mean, the plan for care has been made. The patient experience is already in the book. So we need to change this quality vision from something that is done after the fact to something that you start before the patient ever walks in and that actually occurs in the meat and potatoes of it while the patient is there and while the patient is face-to-face with the physician and the folks who support the physician in the office uh, in, in patient care. So, so how, do you, how do you do that? How do you change this uh, quality narrative and, and, and make it the property of, of folks who touch patients for a living as opposed to regulators in Washington. Well, the first thing that you need to do is redefine, redefine what quality means. Uh, because right now we have some really, really ridiculous uh, definitions of quality that don't help at all. And the first thing that we need to do is redefine that. So uh, we will do that in the beginning of the next segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you very much for spending time with us this Thursday morning on the Doctor's Lounge broadcast by America's Web Radio. We are available both every Thursday morning uh, as a live broadcast on America's Web Radio. We are also available by podcast from the iTunes store. Um, today we have a very special guest, and this is somebody that I have been meaning to have on the show for a long time. And before we even go on the air here, he has already elevated the 
experience, Dr. Chuck Webster, uh, because we are not only broadcasting on America's Web Radio by uh, traditional Internet radio, but we are on a new technology called FireTalk. So as we do this, we're not only on audio, but we're on audio video as well. So, Chuck, I'm just going to let you do your own uh, introduction because you've got so much neat stuff going on. If I try, I'm going to miss it. So tell everybody who you are and we'll go from there. Wow. Okay, Mike. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I just want to say how much I've enjoyed uh, interacting with you over the uh, several years on Twitter. How we met. Feelings um, mutual. I guess I could sort of start with. Uh, I've got like five degrees. Uh, my mother says I'm killing myself by degree, and they include uh, accountancy, industrial engineering, artificial intelligence, medicine, and computational linguistics. So yes. Oh, but that's all. Is going to pay me to go to school for a long time. Uh, Lord, so well, uh, it, it, that multidisciplinary stuff is kind of what we need to move this along. Yeah. So. Well, now, now the the funny thing is, is if you actually look at the intersection, uh, and one of my, you know, when you give a presentation, you show sometimes a slide about yourself at the very beginning. Uh, I show a Venn diagram, okay, and I I show my degrees, and you know, with like three or four bullet points in each one, and then I show the intersection, and the intersection is. Uh, healthcare workflow technology. That is, if you look at uh, cost and engineering, which is about workflow and usability, uh, and medicine, of course, uh, and artificial intelligence, which is about knowledge representation, so re- representing workflows and then having engines work on them, um, that's uh, kind of led me to what I do. And I'm, you know, I. I I play almost. I play a character. Actually, there is a cartoon out there of me. Uh, one of the vendors made a. <laughs> I, 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 they, they they did a they did a fifteen minute cartoon with Chuck Webster as a character, a character, uh, and um, it's pretty funny. Uh, it kind of and but um, so you know, Doctor Workflow, the king of all workflow in healthcare, the workflow bear. And that comes from this idea that if you, you know, if you're in the wintertime and there's a little cave and there's a bear and they're hibernating and you go and you poke them with a stick, they'll come out and they'll roar at you. So on Twitter, if people mention workflow, like they're at a conference and the speaker mentions workflow, they, they will tweet about it and they'll mention me and I'll immediately, you know, start pontificating and agreeing or disagreeing. And that's called poking the workflow bear. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> currently, current, yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll cut it. Uh, the, the two two more things. Um, <clears throat> I'm a health information management system society social media ambassador. Hims is the forty five thousand attendee conference that's happening in late February, uh, and um, so kind of it's basically a license to tweet, uh, to blog, and video. So you walk up to a vendor booth, for example. And they, and they say, well, why are you taking pictures? Or, you know, you want CEO. And then you say, oh, I'm a, I'm a social media ambassador. They say, oh, oh okay, okay. Oh, great, and then they yeah. <laughs> roll the red carpet out. Sure. Uh, and then the other thing is, is this this year, for the first time ever, I'm also into 3D printing and uh, 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 my, Arduino and Raspberry Pi and so forth. Uh, one of the booths, Hims is actually donating a booth to become the first ever makerspace. Uh, this makerspace is in the innovation zone. It has three, two 3D printers. It has a couple of CNC tools such as laser cutter engraver, uh, a probably 30 or 40 different uh, boards, micro, you know, that you can build inputs and outputs and you know stuff. And it's really kind of an intended to be a place where if you have an idea, you could show up Monday morning and three and a half days later, you might have, actually have a working prototype. 
so this uh, is uh, this is the so, glorified. So the education version. was the old, was the beginning, and now and then the the social media ambassador in the makerspace. This is kind of like now. So this is like the uh, the steroid induced version of those sixty four and one electronics kits that you and I grew up on. Uh, you know, where you assemble components together, bend in the springs, yep. and putting the wires yep. on, and uh, building your yep. your burglar yep. alarm. Uh, but now this is. is in the space you know where everything now becomes modular, and 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 this is you know a huge part of of where things are going. You know, not only from a treatment standpoint, but from an information management standpoint. True. Yeah, yeah. There, the the modularity in, uh, is um, so there is a connection between the makerspace and workflow, and that is, I'd like to see physicians and patients uh, build their own systems and, and 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 tune and craft and systematically improve and share their own workflows. Uh, and uh, uh, in the makerspace world, where you're real, you're typically interacting with physical artifacts. Um, the the idea of modularity is actually uh, considerably further along in the hardware world than it is in the um, in the software world because you think about you know patching together uh, you know hi-fi uh, setups and uh, and 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 you know and and, and, and there I'm, I'm holding a board right here uh, has that can yeah. be plugged into other things right and, he's he's holding up for um, the viewers on my end that don't have the video he's holding up you know small computer chip modules, each of which do a focused task. And if you plug these things all together, like jigsaw pieces, you can assemble complex devices. And and the, the big deal here is that these things all work together, and all you have to do is plug them in. And if you think about it, that's the thing that's missing right now from you know what's getting used in the trenches of healthcare and healthcare information technology is that you know what what do we struggle with now truck will be our emr doesn't communicate with our portal yep. and our portal doesn't yep. communicate with our patients and yep. the whole thing is complicated yep. by all the reporting we have to do which takes up so much of our time that we got no time to work on some of this other stuff so let me put this all in perspective for the for the viewers on my end with with audio only the the optimism that surrounds rounds 2017 and the expected the hoped and prayed for reduction in regulatory burden is going to free up a little bit of space it's going to put a little bit of oxygen back into the room so that we have the opportunity to look forward and start with a clean sheet of paper and say to ourselves what we should have been able to say in 2008, but we're unable to. But now, eight or nine years later, you know, we have another window of opportunity opening, which says, look, what can health IT do for patients and the docs that are taking care of them? And start with that blank sheet of paper. And what Dr. Webster here has that I have watched him present over at least three, four years now is, is material that needs to be included in the backbone of whatever we create to replace the regulation-driven, government-driven stuff that has made things worse instead of better. So Chuck's on the show today to help explain to us his vision of what health IT should look like, and he's got a fantastic blog. Um, Chuck, why don't you give us the the uh, the address of your blog so my viewers or my listeners can find it? Sure. Uh, well, it's Wearflow. That's seven letters, not not eight. Wearflow. W A R E F L O. Flow. 
like you know the gal on the uh, yeah insurance commercial like where like software and, and, then, and then yeah flow and that's kind of like software workflow it's a portmanteau it's a combination of two things software workflow but you know I'm also into kind of wearables so you can think of there's a pun there um, and uh, and that's the same as on Twitter wearflow w a r e f l o on Twitter and um, I'm interested. Oh, flow also is there's a psychological sense of uh, optimal flow uh, is, is an idea from psychology. So I'm interested in psychology and tool use and uh, IT and workflow and um, and I agree. I, I, I want to mention your earlier sentiments. Uh, I do hope that we're in a situation where. Um, you know, we and you used a phrase I have frequently used. In fact, it was used to me by multiple people on separate occasions, and that's this idea of oxygen in the room. Um, you know, I, I did a, a focus group with 40 of the top CIOs uh, two years ago, three years ago, uh, in in Scottsdale, and uh, and it was all about workflow and innovation and. And, and they said, you know, this is all great stuff, but there's no, but it's it, it, certain government programs have sort of sucked all the oxygen out of the room. We, we, <clears throat> you know, our, our CEOs are pressuring us to, to deliver systems that will, you know, get the subsidies and that, and that, and so we can't do the good stuff. Right. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm, I am, I hope, I hope that there is a, a bit more oxygen than the room. No, no question about it. And that's, you know, and I, and I, you know, those of us who spend a lot of time in DC, and I think you used to, you know, we're, we're, you know, we've got our sights on MACRA, uh, in an attempt to, you know, to, to lighten the regulatory burden and, and allow folks like you and I and, and IT vendors to work together to sort of make these dreams happen. So, um, we've got about, what, two and a half minutes left in this 13 minute segment. And I want to save your latest blog post that talks about the layers it, it, you've got a, a great picture of a layer of pancakes or a stack of pancakes that starts with the patient experience and then outlines things to support it so what i'd like to do is sort of stretch this segment a little bit and let you talk about that next time but what uh chuck is your sentiment and you mentioned it briefly so i just want you to expand on it a little bit if you can which is what is the sentiment of the folks in health IT, are, are they as tired of the regulations as doctors are? Does everybody feel like you and I do? Um, it sounds like when you met with these in- chief information officers, that's the case. But as a, as a social media ambassador for HIMSS, uh, what, are, what are you picking up? Uh, well, let me say first that, this, uh, that uh, I'm not – even though uh, – I'm not speaking on behalf of him as a social media ambassador. Um, Understand. So this is my personal opinion, Um, but I think uh, although, but I think the 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 the, uh, agenda of of the SMA is is to be uh, you know somewhat opinionated in a constructive way. Um, Well, I can remember uh, this would have been gosh for a few years ago. Uh, it was hard to find a single person who was critical of meaningful use. Uh, and now, you know, we may be getting to an actual, you know, majority of folks who think that maybe it was a mistake. And there's even, you even get people who actually were quite instrumental in um, in making it happen who sort of say, who, me? <laughs> I, was, uh, I, I was, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of finger pointing going on now. 
And in fact, even recently, uh, as high up as Biden and Obama uh, basically said it was a failure uh, last week uh, and then read the, the transcript. Um, so, you know, we've spent billions and billions of dollars and, and it did not achieve uh, the aims of, you know, uh, making the bowl and making healthcare better while, you know, controlling costs. Um, so um, I think we, we need to try a different approach. Good deal. Uh, uh, Chuck, we're at the end, I'm going to cut you off. We're at the, ed, we're at the think, end of the segment. So we'll, we'll get, uh, we're going to pick this up right where we left off. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is Skip Coriel, host of the Home Defense Show on America's Web Radio. Join me every week for a full hour of all the best and latest information on how you can get the skills and equipment you need to protect the ones that you love. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak, with a very special guest, Dr. Chuck Webster, who is uh, a physician. He's so many things, I almost can't name them all off by memory, but a physician, a workflow guru, a linguistics expert. What am I leaving out, Chuck? You, uh, well, I'm a dilettante, jack of all trades, master of none. I hear um, you. So I could like mention things that don't have anything to do uh, <laughs> with uh, the subject at hand, like archaeologist. Okay. Uh, all right. But, uh, so a lot of different. There's things. actually a, there's actually a mound. Go ahead. So please. I mean, Chuck is exactly the sort of uh, you know Renaissance man, multidisciplinary. You know, understands a great deal of divergent fields very well, and and this is the kind of mind that we're going to need if we're going to transform healthcare into something that is from something that is hampered by information technology to something that is enhanced by information technology. So we left off in the last segment, Chuck. We were talking about sort of the the general uh, feel of of what you're getting of of where you think health IT feels with respect to regulations, and then I think we're going to go on and talk about your latest. A blog post which outlines beautifully, I think, what docs and patients, for that matter, need to understand about how health IT can actually help us get the job done. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so you'd like me to continue to talk about 
I'd like to. T- I'd like you to talk about. Um, let's just go right into your blog post article. You you had a blog okay. post, and I, I couldn't find the date on it. It sounds like it's very recent, but uh, you've got an excellent diagram in there that's a stack of pancakes, basically. Mm-hmm. That says, and the yep. top pancake is what the patient experiences. The stacks below are all the levels of uh, of the components of a of a well constructed medical practice that make that patient experience good, not only in terms of outcome, but the experience itself. So why mm-hmm. don't you talk about that? Well, sure. Um, let's see. Uh, I, I write a lot of blog posts. Um, partly, uh, I participate in tweet chats, and the, and the tweet chats will have a topic. And this topic was patient experience, and the company that was holding the tweet chat was, was – um, uh, it's kind of famous for its APIs, application programming interfaces. Uh, and so I thought about, well, what is the connection between an API and uh, patient experience? Because we're certainly seeing headlines. The government is, uh, you know, uh, trying to get, for example, to open up their systems so that that data can be, you know, flow uh, into and out of mobile apps and uh, wearables and so forth. Um, and so... Um, the, um, uh, that blog post was my attempt to connect patient experience to these uh, under-the-hood technological artifacts called APIs. So let's talk um, about APIs. And, Define those for everybody because that's uh, – my sure. listeners aren't okay. going to know that, but they need to. Yeah. Uh, well, application programming interface. So application, that's perhaps the electronic health record. Uh Programming, uh, an API is usually something that a programmer uses. So that's why uh, users who aren't programmers might not be familiar with APIs. However, the, ha- the tools and the ease with which a programmer can proceed and build something ha- has d- important downstream influence on user experience because uh, if uh, the, the users don't like their system and they want to change the system, if the system's hard to change. Then, uh, because the because the programmers can't get at the data, uh, then that slows down uh, systematically improving user experience and ultimately patients' uh, experience. If you think of them as both users of you know more and more sort of consumer or patient uh, facing information technology, but also just uh, you know when they interact with the health system, they're interacting with people who may have a smile on their face. But then when they turn around to interact with the back-end systems, if those workflows don't flow, then you end up with a you know kind of a crappy customer user Well, I experience. think that was the sentence uh, customer, uh, that really resonated with me the most because that's what we struggle with. I mean, you know, we have a culture in the office that says, yes, you know, patients come first, you, you know, and we, we do our best to take care of them. And uh, But the, the problem is just what you're saying, which is that if it's – if we don't have – you know, an interface, classic example, right? We order a chest X-ray, let's say. I mean, we don't order a lot of those in ENT, but let's just use a, a, an easy example. Is, you know, the staff member can smile and be happy to order the chest X-ray, but if they have to click a button on their EMR and then turn around and fill out the same paper form that they've been filling out for the past 20 years, then one, the IT isn't helping. And number two, the later in the day it gets, the harder it is to keep a smile on your face because you know the more busy work you're creating and the more inefficiencies you got to plow through. Uh, so that just, that really spoke to me, Chuck. Uh, well then do you, do you remember 
remember the phrase, the system uh, behind the smiles? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's in your post. Behind, yeah, okay. Uh, so um, uh, so in, and that comes from the hospitality industry. And if you think about experience, customer experience, checking, you know, going, checking into a Ritz-Carlton or a Four Seasons and how, you know, everything just seems to work and everybody's greeting you and they're very happy and then somehow you can just walk to your room. And, you know, because through all kinds of, uh, you know, Internet of Things magic, uh, it just knows that to allow you to enter your room um, and your and all your, suitca- your suitcases all magically have just appeared there. Uh, well, <clears throat> you, you know, uh, you can uh, there have been lots of studies that show that 40 to 60 percent of customer experience is not about staff, their training, their attitude. It's about those back-end workflows. Do they do do the workflows that the staff uh, rely on to do their job? Do they actually do what needs to be done? Um, and so, you know, you see a lot of customer um, service, ex- customer experience uh, uh, initiatives kind of focus on the smile. You know, getting you know get gung ho staff and so forth. Uh, but you know that creaky back-end, badly designed for whatever reason, and uh, enterprise software. And even though, you know, you may be talking about medical practices here, that's the, you know that's that's still the enterprise. The enterprise uh, is, is the medical practice. Um, so yes, yeah, so that that back-end software that the user or the patient does not directly interact with has a, a, a at least a forty to sixty percent uh, influence on that patient's uh, experience. Absolutely. And, and that's, you know, whenever, and, and this is, I'm going to speak to the docs in the audience for a second, but patients, you listen to this too, because it obviously affects your experience. Typically what physicians do, and this is something that has to change, is when there is a workflow failure, patient calls because they didn't get their lab result when they thought they should, et cetera, et cetera, or, you know, there's a near miss in terms of something bad almost happening. What does the doctor typically do? Well, you go to your administrator and you say, here's something bad that's happened. You need to fix it. And then the doc just walks away and expects it to get fixed. And we expect our administrators to pull off miracles. Well, what's happening under the hood of our miracle worker administrators is they're the ones that, that they may not call it workflow, but they understand what it is, mm-hmm. at least at an elementary level. And part of what I have tried to preach over these years is that docs need to take it one step further and, and be willing to pop open the hood themselves side by side with their administrators mm-hmm. and really understand what's going on behind the scenes. Because if you don't, you can't affect it. And if you can't affect it, then you can't change it or improvement. And you end up in this vicious cycle of every few months maybe something happens or something almost happens and you go get mad and go to your administrator and they fix it for a while and then with staff turnover and you know entropy and you know things tend to fall apart you know and and i've always advocated the part of what emrs do is sort of preserve those workflows because if you can number one create the workflow and number two codify it with workflow management right business process software the stuff that you talk about and put it into your EMR, then all of a sudden if staff turns over or something, you've got some sort of way to preserve the knowledge and you mm-hmm. have something that's well-designed and something that stays. And I think that's got to be part of the, the big sheet of paper too. But um, your thoughts? No, what you just described uh, is incredibly – incredible. 
I'm going to make not an analogy, but I'm reminded of, okay, um, uh, and this is completely agreeing with everything you said, and I'm reminded of, uh, I, about a month ago, I went to a uh, business process management modeling workshop for one day, uh, uh, and it, where they brought this, and uh, uh, not just health IT people, but people who actually specialize in modeling uh, workflows using special notations and symbols. Uh, and um, and some, sometimes those, those, those representations of workflow can actually be stuck in a business process management system and, and, and they will execute. So, so it's, just a, it's a different way of programming, uh, and it takes a lot less work to learn how to uh, draw pictures of workflow than it does to, like, learn to program it. Um, sure. And here's the, here's the thing, and here's, and here's the reason I brought it up. It was kicked off by um, a physician in Cleveland uh, who gave a picture of exactly what you just described, which is, you know, the, the, the doctor and the staff around them and the need to manage those workflows uh, and how you can get burnt out uh, but uh, and, and how the, the physician has to trust that those workflows will happen, but so many times the workflows don't run successfully to execution. And is there a way of using... Uh, workflow ideas and documentation and technology and it better manage healthcare workflows. But he was a physician, not an, not an engineer, not a workflow specialist, not not a uh, not not a uh, not health IT person. And he spoke eloquently. And he but he described these workflow problems in such a way that the people who aren't healthcare people. The BPM people in the audience, the people who are familiar with the business process management part, could understand. Okay, so there you kind of have you know these two groups that have to get together: the people who are the clinical people who understand the workflows, and the uh, workflow people who understand a lot about workflow and workflow technology, but don't understand the clinical domain. Absolutely. Uh, and what you ju- what you described now, what he described was in pa- was having to do with uh, the VA and dealing with. Um, uh, veterans returning from you know Iraq and Afghanistan and dealing with their problems. So you're talking about multi-system kinds of you know when you, that enterprise is a is a is a in, in ginormous yeah, enterprise. That's, but you that's just complex. basically did the same thing for a medical for a medical practice, right? And that's and that's where you know those folks never cross paths. I mean, hopefully that's what folks like you and I can do with a little it, regulatory. It, yeah, it is happening. It, it, it's great. It's. I mean, I've been. Uh, I've been an advocate for workflow technology. I mean, I've and I'm. I've been diagramming workflow. I mean, I diagram workflows for a living, practically. You know, three years ago, uh, for for decades, and and it is happening. It, it's it's not happening fast enough. Uh, and as in as in the case of any new, kind of new new thing, I am worried that like you know, if workflow becomes this co- and workflow technology becomes the cause celeb uh, in healthcare. Okay, I'm cutting that off right about there because we're reaching the end of the segment. This conversation was so animated uh, that I totally missed my 13-minute cutoff. So I'm cutting this off. We'll pick it up in segment four. You're listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four 
patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thank you for staying with us all the way through segment four. I think worth every moment of your time today with very special, very talented uh, guest, uh, Dr. Chuck Webster. Uh, and the conversation we had was so animated that I totally forgot when we were doing the interview about my 13-minute hard break. So I ended up having to sort of do what they call in the business post-production fiddling uh, with this recording. So I'm going to jump right back in to where we left off with dr chuck webster here we go that what happens is a bunch of people latch onto it and kind of uh you know run it into the ground marketing wise uh and then people are disappointed you know and that's that's happened to a zillion technologies in healthcare uh so i think you know so i think that there's it's it's good that that this is happening slowly and maybe a little bit under the radar uh Uh, but uh, yeah i mean i'm 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 optimistic and uh especially this exactly what you said having this conversation uh with you a work day physician uh, i am not a work day physician uh i'm an engineer who went to medical school uh but you know i you know then you think about folks listening to this or watching it later or reading the transcript or whatever you know you you've you've got you know in a sense both sides of the brain. I mean, that's probably a really flawed analogy here in terms of the like hemisphere. But you do have, well, okay, you do have, you have, uh, okay, well, that had to be an answer. Uh, I'm not sure which side would, uh, it goes with <laughs> we, what. We're going to have to uh, battle with which side is I, which, but I, the, the middle, right? What, you, you, what uh, we learned in uh, neurology two, was the corpus yeah, callosum, right? You need a corpus callosum. Yeah. You need a corpus callosum between yeah. the clinical workflow folks, workaday folks, and the, uh, and the workflow experts and health IT workflow expert folks, you need a corpus callosum down there so they can think with one brain. So for those of you who never took anatomy in medical school, the corpus callosum is the big uh, chunk of wires, if you will, that connects the left side of the brain with the right side of the brain. So we've got a bunch of, you know, one side of the brain is the is the folks like me that see patients for a living and have an awareness of of something we need to learn. And then we've got folks from your world, Chuck, that, that you know, that, that don't have the access to clinical but, but understand what we are beginning to realize we don't know and desperately need. So it's time to connect them. By the way, do you, uh, Mike, you, you, you mentioned earlier in the previous segment that we're actually on Fire Talk here at the same time. Oh, yes. If you click on live chat, you can – uh, this is Deanna Erickson, and she wrote. She's watching right now. Uh-huh. Hi, is this every Saturday morning? Uh, and then she's saying like macros. Uh, and so I, I'm, uh, you, uh, uh, yes, they're kind of similar to macros workflows. If you think about uh, um, in an application, sometimes you have like a little programming language that allows you to like you know kind of customize its behaviors. Uh, yes. Macros on steroids, but yes, yeah, similar yes. to macros, only yeah. like even way better. 
Right, right. Uh, my impression is a, a macro is like a short piece of code that, that accesses other – we used yeah. to call them subroutines back yeah. in my day, but other yeah. sort of yeah. pieces of programming. Yeah. Well, puts them all together, kind of like your circuit boards. Even, uh, yeah, 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 the, my circuit board. Uh, uh, you know, one, 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 of the great, one of the ways that you can generate uh, workflow macros is you actually turn on a recorder, you do a bunch of things, you turn off the recorder – and then you can flip over, and everything you did is recorded in a l- computer language that's kind of uh, – that's not very yeah. co- complicated. I think I remember that from my Visual Basic days. Yeah. And it, save it. And then in the future, hit a button, and then all, everything you did will happen automatically. Well, I did that. I tinkered with that before the EMR days when I used a Visual Basic template for my EMR, for my notes. You know, I had to drop them all to paper. But, yeah, I remember there was a macro recorder that yeah. you started, and yeah, then you yeah, did everything good, and stopped the recorder. Good old kind of, VBA. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And, 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 and that was sort of pre-EMR days, but sort of got to it. And, again, it's, it, it gets a little technical, but, again, for the, for the viewers and the listeners, the point of this is that once you build the machine and it runs and it's preserved and it's codified – it then frees the doctor up, okay? And I, and I want to make that clear because it sounds like when you and I start talking about technical stuff and minutia and all this kind of stuff that the casual ear might say, oh, my God, this is going from bad to worse. I don't want to learn all this stuff. Mm-hmm. This is if – if the geeks take over, yeah. this is going to be horrible. It's, a, it's the exact opposite, right? It's kind of like the difference between – Televisions in the 60s that required a TV repairman to come out every month to replace the burned out tubes versus flat panel TVs that you hang on the wall and forget about. So what we're trying to build here is the flat panel TV that you hang on the wall and forget about. It just does its job. And so the point is once you build these workflows and you have the software and the hardware supporting them in place and actually working, which is not something we have the luxury of these days completely yet um, – is that doctors, you will get more time with your patients, not less. Patients, you'll get more time with your doctor. So the point is to get rid of this problem where the doctor has to stare at the computer constantly and isn't looking at the patient. Instead, we're looking down here. The whole point of this is to make all that go away with hardware, software, workflows that operate in the background reliably, consistently, silently and that's what's going to that's what's going to make this work yeah uh uh mike uh i think i can retire you can just take my spot you're, <laughs> no, 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 you're no, no. so spot on ah. <laughs> no this is this this you're, needs to be you're so spot on uh, we'll see it's, I, I do it's want easy to, to be spot out, on when you got the expert right next here. to you Vienna Erickson wrote, uh-huh. I'm excited to see your show. It doesn't seem that there are too many who are passionate about bridging the gaps between healthcare users and IT. You know, there are passionate about bridging the gap between healthcare and IT, but there aren't very many who are passionate about bridging the gap between healthcare, IT, and workflow. Well, yeah. Well, that's if, – if all you say is that you want to bridge the gap between healthcare and IT – then you don't know enough to answer the question. It's kind of like, you know, what's that proverb that finding the answer to the question is just a matter of restating the question in a way where you can answer it? Well, restating the question of how do you bridge the gap and restating it in a way that you can find the answer is to invoke workflow in your question and say, how do you use, you know, IT patients and whatnot? 
You're reminded of two things, and that is, I mean, you hear about data all the time in healthcare. You know, headlines, you know. Basically, take any headline you look at and replace the word data with workflow and then and then rewrite the article. Uh, uh-huh. And you, It's an amazingly useful technique to, to think different. Well, that actually that actually addresses the fundamental problem is that you know we have a, a regulatory structure and maybe this is going away in the health IT community hopefully but at least let's let's turn the clock back two three years we had a regulatory structure and a health IT culture that was data obsessed and mm-hmm. instead of thinking about oh you you wrote yeah you wrote that about one or two years ago you wrote uh, something about the interoperability and I can't remember what the word was almost it was scam or something yeah, or something overemphasis like that. do you know the part the post that I'm talking about yeah yeah I'm talking about the, I forget the exact title but the whole point was that that interoperability is 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 incorrectly defined if you really want to help patients and I think I kind of brought that up before hims last year I think that's where it came from was yeah. to say hey let's come up with interoperability that actually helps physicians take care of patients and not this high level 50,000 foot, you know, intermountain communicates with Kaiser, communicates with Yale, communicates with Hopkins, communicates with Mayo. I mean, not that that doesn't have a place, but it's nothing against those those wonderful, nothing against those institutions. I mean, if they want to do that, that's fine, but that's not where the rubber meets the road in terms of really doing some good. Here's the example. Here's the example I, I, I give, and that is there are different levels of workflow and operability. Syntactic interoperability is just being able to move the data between the systems. Semantic interoperability means that the data means the same thing. But there's a level called workflow uh, interoperability, sometimes called pragmatic interoperability in the computer science uh, world. And that's about, does the message do what you need it to do? Does it achieve the goal that you need it to achieve? And uh, we need to, you know, that, that kind of workflow interoperability is essential. Now, here's the thing. You can have workflow interoperability without – ideally, you need all of those layers, that stack, working together in order to serve the, the top layer, which is the experience layer. Yes. But you can actually have workflow interoperability without syntactic and data, without data interoperability. An example I give is uh, someone officer for a, an electronic health record vendor uh, in 2006 or so, we added e-prescribing to our system because we had to in order to get certified by a program that preceded meaningful use. That it was it's similar that actually got kind of absorbed into meaningful use. Yes. A company, an organization called CCHIT. Yes. Uh, and here's the thing. Uh, we had a, our EHR was based on a workflow engine and it, it, it took uh, a physician like three clicks to reorder uh, a, a prescription. Whereas it yes. took like 22 clicks in in in, not, in a in a non workflow electronic health record uh, system, and and then we 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 uh, now the now the thing is 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 this is before we had an electronic uh, 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 data connection. Okay, so it right. took the physician. That's because a a work item got put in someone's inbox, and a human did uh, some human did the work. Now the physician didn't do the work. But as far as a physician concerned, it took three clicks, and then it happened magically. It didn't care whether it was done through data-to-data, IT, or person-to-person, you know, facts. Didn't, it didn't, okay. Yes. Then we went through all the work of connecting the systems so that, you know, now we had data interoperability, and, that, and, and it still took three clicks. The physician didn't notice it, okay? That's right. because we had workflow interoperability without data interoperability, 
Now, yes. obviously, it's better to have both because everything just works great. But we need to focus more on that workflow layer. Well, but you need you need that transition state, Chuck. That's the point. And and we actually did that fairly well when we were implementing ten years ago. But that's the mm-hmm. that's the point is that the first thing that you did serves the goal. The first thing you did was offload the dock mm-hmm. so that with three mm-hmm. button clicks. I can spend a lot more time looking at the patient, talking to the patient, and not get lost clicking 20 buttons, which, you know, that's 20 buttons in a perfect world. You know, the odds are 20 buttons, I'm going to make a mistake somewhere, and it's going to be 40 buttons, but um, or the wrong drug ends up going through. But, but uh, yeah, that puts the focus exactly where it's supposed to be, which is to separate those parts of healthcare workflow that are humanistic, and you – you and then you uh, identify those parts that should run the way FedEx delivers a package, and you automate mm-hmm. those parts that are that are FedEx worthy and free up the dock to be human to human again. Uh, I could not have said it better, Mike. <laughs> well. I tell you what, you've um, tell us about we we've got. I'm actually going to have to parse this out. We've been talking for 25 minutes straight now, so I'll split these up into 13 minute segments because I didn't want to stop the conversation because it was so good. Plus, I didn't want to. I'm going to kind of jump in here and fill in the last 20 seconds or so. Um, this was a great uh, uh, interview with Dr. Chuck Webster. Um, there's about five more minutes that I just don't have time to put in the show, but you know, I think what you're hearing here is a new vision, not only a new vision. But the means to bring that vision to light. Uh, And I think we're going to see some really exciting things happen over the next uh, 12 to 18 months, God willing. Uh, We are at the end of the hour. You have been listening to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.